Welcome to the Higher Learning Podcast with me, Oz Rashid. Our podcast focuses on the one thing every business leader must excel at when building a high-performance team, effective hiring. Identifying high performers that fit your team is not just an HR responsibility. It impacts every area of the business and all hiring leaders in your company. We're here to have an honest and entertaining conversation with different business leaders from a variety of industries to learn about new ways of identifying and engaging top talent in today's business environment. I'm your host, Oz Rashid. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Higher Learning. I'm your host, Oz Rashid. Today, we have a very special guest, Wade Mitzel, Chief Operating Officer with University of Louisville Physicians. Wade, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, and what an honor to be here today. Thanks I'm for so excited to talk to you. We had a prep call. We were talking about your passion for hiring and for talent and all the good things that you're doing over there at UofL. So I'm really excited to get into it. I want to start here because a lot of times what I found is that people don't always know what a chief operating officer does. We want to try to demystify some of those things. Obviously, it's a different role, company to company. So you are the chief operating officer at University of Louisville Physicians. What is the CEO responsible for in a health network org like U of L? Yeah, that, that's a great question because I do think it's different in different organizations. So to give you an outlay of who we are, the University of Louisville Physicians, we have over 1,100 providers in about 250 clinic locations throughout our region here in Louisville, wow. Kentucky. And I'm responsible for the physicians and the staff that support all these clinics. Plus, we have seven inpatient facilities, seven hospitals, and four ambulatory centers. So that sounds like an incredible list, but really what it boils down to is, you know, we have a goal to impact our communities. So my goal is to grow our services and then also take care of our people that provide this excellent service. So that really what it boils down to. Wow. And listen, I don't want to generalize, but most of the operators in my life or the operators I know, they're very cut and dry, block and tackle, binary, black and white. We got to get this done. You have always seemed to have a passion for developing, hiring, retaining the physicians within your group. You even just talked about it just now. So I'm interested, what do you do differently? Because that hasn't always been my experience when I'm talking to even people in your types of positions in other healthcare networks. So help me understand why that's been important to you. And maybe there's an origin story there. We, you know, when in our within our mission statement, it talks about our little niche and we are in a very competitive healthcare environment. And what I think what we provide different is that we're trying to bring academic medicine to our communities. So we're not sitting here in the downtown main, you know, urban setting and saying, you need to come to us because we have all the specialties, things like that. It's, we're doing something different. We're, we want to bring it to the communities. So even this last year, we hired, and I, I think this number is pretty remarkable even for us, is that we hired 72 providers last year. Oh, wow. This year, we have 112 new providers starting in our system. Wow. And what I think we do differently is, you know, we get in providers involved in communication, the positive work environment. They help us with strategy, be on our boards. And we don't just hire them and expect them to just churn as many patients as possible, but we want them to really make an impact in our community. So I think that people are beginning to buy into this mission. You know, we've only been around you know, as U of L Health since 2019, but oh, wow. we've just seen such an incredible growth, and people are buying into the purpose and what we're trying to do to reach underserved communities. 
Yeah, I really love that. I had no idea that it's only been since 2019. And that kind of leads into my next question. We talk a lot about culture on this podcast. And typically, we're talking to people who are in corporate organizations and the culture that they're trying to manifest and build, whether it be an entrepreneur from the ground up, or somebody working in a Fortune 500 company. But you've always you know, mentioned to me the importance of building a culture within a healthcare organization. And it's a little bit different that you're not working with this big legacy organization that's been doing things for 50 years. You can build it from the ground up. So I'm interested, what is the culture you're trying to build? What are the values and tenets? And how do you think it's going? Do you feel like that it permeates the building and the people that you work with? You know, that's a great question. And I think that, you know, we have a mission. You hear people like me in my position say, this is our mission. But, you know, as Our mission is that we are, as an academic healthcare system, we will transform the health of our communities through compassion and innovative care. And the difference for this organization that I've seen is I actually think we believe that. And so for me personally, it's not so much that culture is out there. It's something that, you know, we we talk about that. We need to change that out there, but it's really who we hire, who we bring in, how we lead, you know, having that culture of transparency where we show our shortcomings and we share the wins and we focus on that. And because we're a safety net hospital, we need to hire people and have the philosophy that we will always have a culture of yes. So if you have a patient coming in and a need, you know, at five o'clock, we will see you. And we have a strong mission and a desire to bring compassion and hope to our community. So I think it all comes down to our people and how we do that, but really working with the people, pushing this every day that there's a higher sense of purpose and that we have an obligation and I need to be a good steward to impact our communities. I love that. I love the idea of a culture of yes. I've got three daughters. They're trying to get me to have a culture of yes at home. It hasn't been that way just yet, but I think it can be a really beautiful thing in the right environment. That's awesome. And I'm going to talk a little bit more. I want to understand the behavioral profile of the people that you're hiring because you're hiring for all these different positions, but we'll get into that in a minute. And when we get to the hiring, I have talked with many healthcare leaders and we've worked with different firms around the shortage of APCs. And at the end of the day, it's something that there's impacts every healthcare organization, large or small. So I'm interested, what, if anything, have you and the U of L health organization done to combat that? You know, it's funny you say that because when it comes to the APCs, advanced practice clinicians, we haven't seen that shortage. So we don't have that shortage in that area. We have, you know, there's nursing shortages and things like that we deal with, but we don't have that shortage. But what we are dealing with is, you know, this old culture of, you know, if you have an APC that they're used as a scribe or they're used and not to the top of their license. So we have people my role is not only to be a good steward of our people, but make sure they work at the top of their license so that they can provide the best care possible. And we don't always do that. So we have a physician and then the APs following around documenting. I don't think they got into the field of medicine to document. I think they got in the field to take care of patients and to make a difference. And sometimes we don't always allow them to do that. So that's what we need to fix and change and understand that you know, the APC is going to play a bigger role and that team medicine and using them to the highest potential is really where medicine needs to go. And I think the industry has fallen on that a little bit. How introspective of you and that you're right from a cultural perspective, right? You want to feel like your work is impactful. You've gone through all these trainings. You've done all these different things to get to where you are and how demotivating it has to be doing something that you think is very different than what you've been trained and you're qualified to do. So I think that's a, a really good call out on your part and something that probably makes your organization very different in terms of focusing on that because I haven't heard that before. And so maybe that's why you're not dealing with the shortages like I see with so many other organizations. That's awesome. So 
listen, this is a podcast about hiring. You like to hire. You've hired probably thousands of people throughout the course of your career. I'm interested to know, do you have an overarching hiring philosophy for anybody that you bring into your organization? Yeah, I mean, I do. And I think that it is my role as CEO to bring, my philosophy is to hire the best fit that will bring energy and passion to our organization. When you see fit, I think fit, you know, qualifications, training, experience, you know, education all fits in that. But, you know, we need more people with the energy and passion to, to do what we do and not just fill a role, but to find people that want to make a difference. So I think that is really my goal is when we look at hiring people and bringing them on board and seeing, making sure they fit that culture that we're trying to develop. Now, listen, some people do that through like intuition, right? And training what's important to us. We want you to look out for it. And then some people are much more systematized about it, right? And they're saying, these are the eight behavioral qualities and the values we want. And we have to ask questions, map back to that and create that standard. Where do you see U of L kind of falling within that spectrum? Yeah. And whether it's good or bad, I would probably lean towards the first one of just, you know, trying to get that intuition, understanding. And a lot of times it's just some of the questions we ask and, you know, and really understanding why they're applying for a position. And my goal is really to fill their sense of purpose, no matter what position they're hiring for. If I can have a person do a role that feels like they're hitting their purpose and they're impacting the communities, they're going to work harder and do a lot more for our system and be happy and make a difference in the health of our patients. So that's really what I try to do and focus on. Yeah, I think it's a very smart call out on your part, right? Everybody's motivated differently, some financially, some title, some support, some environment, innovation, all these different things. And I think the key, the number one thing, if you have to do one thing and figure out an interview process is what is this person's top motivation? And do we offer that here at our company? Because if not, this person, even if we hire them, they're not going to last. Yeah. You have to be able to know where people get their energy, where people, you know, listen, getting up every day, going to work is not always easy. And so you have to have that extra something where I'm motivated because I get this at my company. And so that's something that we train and we talk a lot about at our company too, is early on when we're talking to executives or we're talking to people down at the analyst level, whatever it may be, positions, APCs, we need to understand what is important to them. And then it's not a matter of good or bad. This is your preference. And now we've got to find the right client or we hope we have working with a client that brings that to the table. And if you hit that fit, more often than not, you're going to have great long-term hires because something that happens in my industry, unfortunately, a lot is the idea of victory is a signed offer letter and somebody's starting right that first day. And I've never looked at it that way because it's so counterproductive to have somebody start and then they're 120 days in and they're like, uh-oh, this ain't the right place for me. And now they're like, ah, oh, should I leave? I've only been here six months or whatever it may be. And now you haven't done your job. Your client's unhappy, your candidate's unhappy. And your brand reputation just goes to hell. So we've always thought about what's that first year anniversary? What's that second year anniversary? How do we make sure that somebody has what they need to be their best selves professionally at these companies? And I think if more people took that mantra in terms of hiring, I think we'd be in a better place in terms of having less attrition, better tenure, more engagement, all these things that we read about on LinkedIn that are going down. I think if we focus on these right things, we can get them going up, up. So totally aligned with you on that. You mentioned questions. Do you got a favorite question that you like to ask in every interview? Yeah, and I like to ask them because it just builds more of, I can build off of what they, how they answer it again. But I got two big questions. You know, one of them is from your knowledge of the job, what value are you going to bring the organization? Mm -hmm. So I can see, you know, how much thought they've put into the job or if they're looking at it or if they're even applying for the right job. And I'm trying to think, does it fill their purpose? Are they prepared to know what the job really is? And are they really 
qualified for it. For, so it really bring, digs into that value proposition. And my second one, and it's not a trick question, but I really love this with executives is how do you lead with compassion? Ooh. And it's not a trick question, but it's something that, you know, really shows where they're at because we need more compassion in healthcare. Sad to say, but I really think that, especially at the executive level, and it's interesting, some of the answers I get, and, you know, even two weeks ago, we interviewed someone for a CEO spot, but they, you know, I asked that question and they said, you got me stumped here. I don't know what you're looking for, Ooh. but I really care about people. I really want to make a difference. And they gave a great answer, but it was really introspective where they had to dig a little bit deeper into their heart. And it wasn't just, you know, the 50 interview questions you practice on a regular basis. It really showed who they were as a person. Did this person have healthcare experience previously coming in? Yeah, they did. Yeah. So yeah, that, and listen, I sit here on the sideline and I say, isn't that kind of cost of admission to be working in healthcare? But you're right. It's probably more often than not always the case. And so you have to dig into that and figure out who is doing that. I, in our company, try to talk about, and I try to interview, especially for leaders, is leading with empathy. Okay. And so I think there's a difference between compassion and empathy. Compassion makes total sense to me on the healthcare side. On my side, on our side, empathy, your ability to put yourself in your employee shoes, your customer shoes, your candidate shoes, your vendor shoes, look at it from their perspective and understand it, not always agree. I think that makes for a very dynamic leader, somebody that it can be well-rounded and somebody that can handle tough situations, complex situations, problem solving, whatever it may be, if you're able to look at all the different stakeholders. And I think it's a big part of my career. I always tell people, you know, the number one business quality that I think is really important in a, in a leader is empathy, is your ability to understand your customer. Do you understand what your customer really wants? And then can you build a service or a program to that? So I love that. I might start asking about compassion myself because I think that's an important quality as well. But I do think those two things are different. So I appreciate you differentiating that. So I got to ask you, if I asked you about a memorable interview experience, maybe one that you were interviewing, or maybe you were interviewing somebody, what comes to mind when I say that? I got some good and bad ones that come to mind. Dude, the bad ones usually get better ratings, but we're good for anything. <laughs> one of the, one of my good ones was, you know, I was a, it was a middle management position. You know, I went through the paces with this organization. I did about six, six or seven interviews. I was very highly qualified. I thought it was going great. I met with the CEO three times. He invited me in for the fourth time. And I thought he was going to make me a job offer. And he said, you know, Wade, you're a great candidate, but you're not a right fit for us today. And I looked at him with that same look you just gave me. And I'm like, what does that mean? And he said, listen, you, where you want to take the organization is something we need to do. But I need to do a little bit more block and tackling before I can have someone like you in our organization. So give me a year to find someone to fill out this block you know, blocking and tackling, and then I'd like to bring you back. And I was honored. I didn't get the job, but I'm like, wow, he really understood his business. He understood where I wanted to go, but the company wasn't ready. And I really respected that. Wow. That's awesome. And it's good. Really what it comes down to is people just want to be communicated with directly. And honestly, yeah. at the end of the day, you don't want to be BSed in an interview, whether you're interviewing or interviewing somebody else. You know, one of the things that I've said before is that you know, one of the best comments I get throughout my career when I was actually doing recruiting was giving feedback to people and just, you know, saying, hey, listen, you didn't get the job because you didn't have this blocking and tackling that we need out of this role. And they feel like if you had that, it could have been a different story. And you never have people, you know, sometimes people be defensive, but for the most part, they'll say, thank you for telling me that because I can look to improve that or I can take something away with that. I think what bothers people the most is when they don't know or there's uncertainty yep. and you can't do anything about it then. So 
I think that's awesome. Candidate experience is something we talk a lot about here at our company, and it sounds like something that has to be important for you at UofL. Do you do anything in particular to try to create a good experience? Is there anything you're telling your interviewers you want them to focus on? I think candidate experience is important. Am I overstating it? Or is there anything you're doing maybe that, that that's unique at UofL? I think that's a great question. You're spot on, but I want to give every candidate the best opportunity to bring the best self to the interview. You know, clear directions, parking, time estimates. I even give them key topics that I want them to expound on so they can be prepared you know, give them tours, give them key contacts. Here's who you're going to talk to. And here's some of their information, you know, with social media, they can find a lot of that, but I want to give them that information ahead of time and give them the best opportunity to just, you know, show their best experience possible. So I think, you know, just being transparent, you know, share with what I'm looking for and, you know, give them the opportunity to shine. I think that's really good. We do that. We all do this, right? We all miss on hires every once in a while. Oh yeah. Uh, Even the best of us. When you miss, and you look back, what did you miss on usually? So I put some thought into this because this is such a great question. I, and I, you know, thinking back of all the ones I missed on, because we all, you're right, we all miss. And I think the thing that I miss on is that, you know, someone can give a great interview, but they bring baggage and I miss the baggage. So whether it's, you know, discontent with life or a poor support structure or, you know, ha- bad habits like gossip or negativity, some of that baggage, I think sometimes I miss that. And if I could see that or capture that, but it's usually the baggage that I miss. Oh, that's true in relationships too, huh? not just with hiring. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I hear you on that. That's really good. And that's true. It's like, how do we, you know, sometimes you, there's only so much you can do in an interview too. dig into that, right? Yeah. You got to be really clever about it. You got to look for the signs. So I think that's a, a good yeah. call out by you. Now, I've been asking people, take this in a little bit of a different direction. I've been asking a lot of executives, what's a day in your life like? And I got to tell you, 90% of them are just telling me how many meetings they have. So I'm going to frame this a little bit differently. What part of your day most fulfills you? What what is the part of your work that you just love, you can't get enough of? And you could just fill your day with this on the calendar, all those 18, 19 meetings you were talking about earlier. If you could just fill it with all of this, what would it be? Okay, so I'm a data geek, so I love data. So I get here every morning and I review, you know, key metrics. You know, I know how many visits have gone through our clinics, you know, every day. So I love the data piece of it and trying to optimize our data. But really the thing that I enjoy most is probably, you know, we do a lot of rounding and one-on-one meetings with key leaders. I love that. You know, meeting with leaders to say, how can I help you? What barriers are you facing? And how can I make your day better and optimize what you're trying to do? I think that energizes me or meeting with providers and clinics and rounding on patients to see how things are going and how I can add value to them is, I think that's just a great joy and an honor that I get to do. I love that. Wait, I'm throwing curveballs now. Now I want to know what keeps you up at night. Oh, what keeps me up at night? I think healthcare keeps me up at night. So coming out of COVID, uh, expenses are going up. Bottom lines are shrinking, and how do you manage that and retain good people? So I think that, and I think, you know, being a steward of an organization, you know, I have to bring my A game every day, and I worry that, you know, we may miss something, and I just want to make sure that my people are taken care of and that patients get needs are met and all that. This episode is brought to you by MSH, an innovative professional services and SaaS organization serving customers ranging from startups to the Fortune 100. A 
a truly global company operating in more than 35 markets across three continents. MSH partners with their customers to build the teams that solve their biggest and most complex business challenges. Contact them and find out more at talentmsh.com. I love that. I don't love that for you. That that's such a worrisome thing, but I get it. And that's true. And I think a lot of leaders are thinking about right now, retention and how do we keep our people and how do we keep our people engaged? So I don't think you're alone in that. And that's definitely something that, you know, I've talked to many leaders and it's definitely a common thing. Um, is there anything you're working on right now that you're super juiced about that you're really excited about? Yeah, we, okay. So within, I would say this is probably a national problem, but especially within the state of Kentucky, we, behavioral health services are pretty much non-existent. We're starting a behavioral telehealth clinic that we started and we started small and we just started doing internal referrals. Like if a primary care has someone that, and this isn't dealing with schizophrenia, but this is someone that, you know, may need a med adjustment or just suffering with depression or the things that we typically have. A lot of these patients have nowhere to go. And these, our primary care has nowhere to send them because, you know, the psychiatry is just being overwhelmed right now. So this clinic, we started it and we're beginning to take on more and more patients. And we have our competitors now even referring into us because it's such a great service. So we take care of those acute needs and then we send them to where they need to go. So maybe it's social determinants, maybe it's some health issue, maybe it's, you know, you know, they don't have enough, the right food or housing or things and just meeting their needs. And now we're going to grow it throughout the state. So I just think it's a great opportunity for us that we can help other healthcare systems and providers have an outlet to where if someone's really struggling, you know, they can call this number and get help immediately and to do that. So that is something exciting that, you know, something unique that we get to do that probably other people don't get to do. And what's neat is we're doing it not because we're going to make a ton of money because we're not but it's a need that we have. And we're trying to meet underserved areas and places where they don't have healthcare. And this is being very well received. And it's just exciting that we get to help people in this way. Super admirable. I love hearing about that. I love helping the underserved communities. One of the good things that came out of COVID, I think, is this understanding of mental health and the importance of mental health and the issues that come with it. And you know, so long we've treated the physical body, right? And there's this thing we got going on up here that that can cause just as many issues, right? It might not be as as cut and dry as you might see with somebody having something in their physical body, but it's definitely there and it definitely impacts us. And those types of services are much needed, especially in our underserved communities. So I think that's awesome. I think that's super admirable. And I'm appreciative of you doing that and telling us a little bit about it. All right, I got to ask you, I'm big on sports. I just love sports. A lot of times this podcast just turns into a sports podcast. So I apologize in advance. We ask people about their LinkedIn posts and you've got a post a fantastic evening with 200 UofL physicians and speaking with UofL basketball head coach, Kenny Payne. Great things are going to happen in Kentucky. Power of you. All right, I got to ask you a few things. First off, on the meter of how much you dislike Kentucky Wildcats, 1 to 10, 10 being absolutely loathe them, 1, you're pretty apathetic to them. Where are we at in terms of the University of Kentucky? So I'm not from Kentucky, so I don't you know, I've only been here eight years. So I probably, I'm at about a two as far oh, as okay. All right. Oh man, I, I, hope none of, I hope none of the U of L people hear that and get upset. Cause I know there's a big rivalry there. Have you gone to a lot of basketball games? Have you spent time at the Yum Arena? I, I spent some time, not a lot. I'm not a big basketball. I'm a huge football fan. Football fan. Okay. Other, yeah. You know, I haven't done a lot of the basketball, but the football and I love the rivalries. I think they're great. And I'll jump on the Louisville bandwagon every time I get, but 
you know, I don't have a big hatred like some people do for one side or the other. It, okay. A- good, good. Because I'm wearing Kentucky blue right now. So I just, I didn't want to throw you <laughs> off there. And listen, Lamar Jackson, that's a big alum from the football oh. program. So they got a great football program too. What did you do with Kenny Payne and all these 200 positions this night? Why was this such an impactful night that you posted about it? This was impactful because he explained, you know, what it was about bringing, being a leader and bringing a program, coming into new for a program and leading with purpose. So he said he had a very strong career. He didn't need the money. He didn't need the fame. He had that. He was getting that. But he had such a feeling for delivering for purpose and to coming in to Louisville and reaching kids like on the West End that are underserved and showing them that there's a way and a path and a direction that they can go. And there was a lot of, you know, a a sense of hope, you know, and and as a leader, we need to deliver more hope, I think, and to show that there's a purpose and that everybody has that. And so it was a great meeting where physicians, you know, we could all ask, you know, as you deal with your children and sports, you know, what's your comments on this? And it was very, very, wasn't a sales pitch, but it was just about, you know, being a person and also being a coach and being a leader and it would just hit on all cylinders. So it was awesome. That was super inspirational. That's awesome. And you got to be in that job. You got to be motivating young college students to perform at their best. And there's all different types of complexities dealing with college students. I know all about that. All right. Last question for you, Wade. I want you to amplify a bit of career advice that maybe you didn't have early on in your career, but that you know now that maybe some of our younger listeners or earlier in their career listeners can take away. Yeah, and I would, that is an excellent question because I think, you know, I am very strategic and methodical in how I lead and how I do things, you know, being in operations, that's kind of how we do. If I could give advice, it's this, is that your career journey will not be a straight path Mm. and that is okay. And that each day, try to find ways that you can add value where you are. Don't worry so much about that, you know, that next position or title or wherever, but learn from the experiences or where you're at today and try to add value and lead with compassion and just try to make a difference. If at a young age, if I focus more on making a difference, I think I would have been a lot happier than just, you know, churning and pushing forward and all that. But, you know, don't lose your happiness in your career. Success is very rarely a straight line. And one of the the jokes of life is that all the things that would have helped you at 18, 19, 20, 22, 23, you seem to have in your back pocket when you're 39, 40, 41, 42, right? Yep. But that's how it works, right? You have to go through these reps and these experiences to, to get it on your own. So you know it now. So you're better off than you were, say, when you first started your career. But I think it's great advice and very prescient for people to take advantage of. So wait, I got to tell you, you're second to none in terms of your compassion and your love for your people. It pops off the video. I really appreciate you taking a little time to talk to us. Give us a little bit of the secret sauce of what's going so well for you and your organization. And I appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks so much. I appreciate what you're doing. And this has been great. Thank you for your time. You got away. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to Higher Learning with me, Oz Rashid. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. 